we're going to prove that we can take one of Jesus' messages and turn it into like two months' worth of messages. We are still in the Sermon on the Mount. Hopefully that's not a terrible thing. Um, As we look over here and you look at those four icons that we chose uh, for the book of Matthew, the first was the announcement or the arrival of Jesus represented by the manger. The second is uh, this trumpet blaring a message as we see Jesus begin his earthly ministry. And it it really starts in, in really a spectacular fashion as, as Jesus preaches this great sermon on the mount, gathers everyone together and, and teaches them. And, and so we saw from the beginning that Jesus is really changing their minds about things. And he, he shared the DNA of what someone who's a part of the kingdom of heaven looks like, the DNA of a Christ follower. And we said it's very countercultural. It's very upside down in the sense that culture elevates People who maybe have good jobs or their kids do well in some way, shape, or form. Or, or maybe they just manage to look put together uh, every day. And so culture esteems those people who seem to not be needy in any way, shape, or form. And Jesus flips it upside down and says, no, blessed are those who recognize they are infinitely more needy than they realize. Infinitely more needy than their circumstances might even give evidence to. And run to me and find their strength their security, uh, their hope, and their joy in him. And and so it causes us to really redefine our definition of success so that we're aiming to look like Jesus, not like culture. And so he moves from there then and says, not just the DNA, I've got this really special mission for you. This blessedness is not for you to hoard like our kids may have hoarded their Halloween candy a few weeks ago. It's not for you to hoard. Jesus calls them to be salt and light in the world. And so we see that this enormous influence that that Jesus has entrusted to them means that they're supposed to shine, that we're supposed to shine in dark places, not just hide uh, in churches. And so we get this sense where Jesus is redefining our mission and, and sending us out rather than just gathering uh, us in. And then we move where Jesus, uh, in Matthew 5, says he came to fulfill the law. And so we spent a little bit of time talking about what that means, where Jesus fulfills the law. And certainly that was a question that they had, trying to understand what Jesus was teaching, what he was actually initiating with his life and ministry. And we saw that Jesus provided a righteousness for us that we could never achieve on our own. Jesus uh, paid a penalty, a debt that we could never repay. Jesus fulfilled a law that we couldn't keep, and we talked about some of the implications of that. One of those being that because he fulfilled the law, uh, we have the ability in him, we have the gift, the invitation to be transformed horizontally with our Father, transformed with him, uh, to be known by him, not distant, to be loved by him, uh, not condemned as a spiritual black sheep, uh, but that also it transforms our horizontal relationships. And we saw that because each illustration that Jesus provided had a horizontal application or a way that what was in their hearts would manifest itself in the way that they related to each other. And so we asked the question, is it possible that some of us are missing cracks in our spiritual foundation that may surface in fractures in some of our relationships? And so then We moved from there and we talked a little bit about what it meant to be free in Jesus. He fulfilled the law and so we're we're free. And in wrestling with that tension, uh, I I brought to our attention uh, tennis player Andre Agassi. And just mentioned that he was someone who 
really had reached the pinnacle of his career, one of the best tennis players ever, but came to hate the game of tennis because of the suffocating, oppressive rules of his follow his father, who more or less demanded that he hit a million balls a year from the age of seven on. And, and so we said that, that we are invited into freedom in Christ, and following him shouldn't feel like we have to hit a million balls a year just because our father uh, said so. And, and so in talking about that freedom, we said what's possible for us is to rather than feeling that enormous, impossible weight uh, that in Christ we're invited to be unshackled uh, from the burdens that we have carried alone uh, for so much of our life, uh, unhitched from the baggage of sin that has maybe uh, defined us or scarred us or changed every relationship or constantly undermines our effort to move forward, that we could be unshackled from those things we carry, unhitched uh, from that baggage, that we could be known by God, not distant uh, from him, loved by him, not feeling like a spiritual black sheep forever. And so there's this great invitation into more, not less. And so if the Sermon on the Mount feels like more rules, uh, heightened expectations, uh, it is, in a sense, uh, heightened expectations, but I really want us to see it as an invitation into infinitely more than we might have imagined possible because of Jesus and the cross and his resurrection uh, and his fulfillment of the law. And so that kind of led to Matthew 5.16, where Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, that as all of these things are happening, as, as we follow him, as we abide in him, uh, these things uh, are happening, and our lives become even purer images of, of Christ, and, and that salt and that light, that light just shines brighter and brighter and brighter as we allow him to do his work in our hearts and in our lives. And so in that way, we fulfill uh, what Jesus talked about with Matthew five sixteen, And so... As we move forward uh, then today, uh, I want to pause there and say, is it possible uh, that where Jesus said, let your light shine so that others might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, is it possible that for some of us, uh, we let our light shine so that others may see our good works and think, wow, that's a good person. Wow, they are really on top of it. Wow, they are such a success. What a great, what a good, what a good person. We take glory that was meant for God and, and try to seal it, try to scavenge on to it for ourselves. In this text this morning, Jesus is really going to call his followers to not settle for something less. He's going to tell them that if their intent is to receive the praise of men, that they can have it, but they will forfeit their praise from God. They will have settled for the lesser rather than the greater. Um, maybe one way to make that clearer, in our house, two of our three kids will choose blue box mac and cheese over a nice piece of steak any day of the week and multiple times a day if, if possible. Uh, and, and so one has gotten old enough to where that's no longer the case. Um, but the comparison hopefully is clear. What they choose, what they want, what they prefer at this moment is the lesser of what's available to him. And so Jesus is going to say, if you choose the praise of men, you have it and your reward will be in full. But enjoy that craft macaroni and cheese. 
I don't know. I'm getting hungry, actually, now. It's I wasn't. I had a Cliff Bar. Uh, not only does Jesus want to call us to have a, a greater sense of what he came to do uh, and, and not settle for less, uh, but there's also this real significant underlying theme in the Sermon on the Mount uh, where Jesus is taking this huge spotlight and spotlighting not just their actions, not just their behaviors, but their hearts. And, and so that had to be uh, challenging and, and provocative and in many instances new, but he's continually calling them beyond sort of the law of halfway or beyond just the external uh, compliance or beyond just doing the right things, but he's trying to marry right behaviors with right motives. And so he tells them to stop fixating on their behavior. And so I, I want to read, I want to read uh, Proverbs four twenty three, uh, and I want us just to be thinking this morning and, and as we continue in Matthew, what does it mean to be attentive to our hearts, to be uh, attentive to our internal life, our re- the way that we relate to God and the way that we uh, relate to others. That part of following Him that maybe goes unseen, uh, because Solomon uh, puts a pretty big uh, weight on the things that happen in our hearts. And for most of us, we weight them very uh, low. Things that aren't seen by others, uh, things that don't get us into trouble uh, right away are are low on our our priority scale. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Other translations say, guard your heart, uh, for from it flow the springs of life. For from it flow the springs of life. And so, Jesus is going to speak to their motives today. He spoke to their motives in, in Matthew 5, saying what happens in your heart actually matters. Like it's a really big deal, even if for a time no one can see it. Some of you know uh, my vehicle kind of blew up on me recently. And when I took it into the shop, uh, they said that the engine would have to come out in order to make all of the repairs. Uh, and so if you had looked at my vehicle, even while it was at the shop, you might have thought, ah, that looks like a perfectly reliable uh, vehicle that should get someone from point A to point B in, in a reasonably safe matter. But if you were the mechanic and you looked on the inside, you might say, don't get in it uh, without it getting fixed. So the outside looks okay, but sometimes the outside can mask what's going on on the inside. Sometimes the outside can make it hard to know that there's something really broken on the inside and so I could get back in that vehicle and I could drive it for a time um, and it might not break down today uh, but it's, it's going to break down it is it is fundamentally uh, broken and so that's why I took it to CarMax as quickly as I could if you get nothing out of today um, I think I would say pay attention to your heart um, and paying attention to your heart is kind of like uh, driving in a vehicle uh, on the highway, the faster you go, the less you can see out the window, right? Everything's blurry. Um, and, and so we have to slow down to see details. We have to slow down to see what's going on uh, out there. Uh, being attentive to your heart is also uh, kind of like proofreading your own paper or proofreading your own email. Uh, many of you have been there. You've written something. You thought this looked great. And then some, and maybe you read it over five, six, seven, eight times. And then someone looked over your shoulder and said, you spelled the wrong or some obvious uh, mistake, and you're like, how could I not see that? Uh, so part of paying attention to our heart uh, requires usually someone else 
uh, looking in. And I'm pleased to say that that happens here in so many different places, in home groups, uh, in men's study, in women's study. Some of you have been to the men's word retreat where accountability and, and other guys speaking into your life is some of such a prominent part of uh, the purpose of that event. Um, but we, most of us, just have to slow down uh, and have to invite others uh, to look in. Jesus is going to say, pay attention to your motives. So the question then is, what are the motives that Jesus is looking for? Um, you didn't ask, but I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, turn to Matthew 6, and we'll talk about that. Uh, starting in verse 1, Jesus is going to use three different situations to help us see what he means um, by pure motives here. Uh, the first situation is giving or giving generously to those in need. Uh, the second, starting in verse 5, is prayer. And the third, starting in verse 16, is fasting. Uh, no worries. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to fast all of Thanksgiving week. Um, if you choose to do that, that's up to you. But I will not challenge us in that way. Uh, first point is gospel-centered uh, generosity. First one, chapter 6, uh, says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the street, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, you have received, they have received their reward. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This, like a number of passages of Jesus' teaching, causes maybe some uh, initial questions. H how would you give in such a way that your right hand wouldn't know what your left hand would do? Like, how does that work? Do you tie it behind your back? Um, do you, uh, is it an anonymous gift? Is, is Jesus saying that if, if someone knows you gave something, that all kingdom value has been lost? Or if someone finds out that you gave them something, does that mean that it invalidates and your, your heart is, is wicked? And, and so Jesus fortunately is clear here uh, in verse 1. He says, what are, why are they doing this? What is it that they're trying to do? Um, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And from verse 2, why do they make such a big spectacle uh, of their giving? That they may be praised by others. And so Jesus is drawing attention to those who are spiritually showing off. To those who are spiritually showing off. And so many, so many ways, so many reasons that this manifests itself in our lives. And so I just picked one, and um, it, it's something that, that I, I would do. And so I'm just project my sin upon you. I apologize for that. But Maybe it will lead to you seeing in some way it in your own life. Uh, but for me, uh, there just are plenty of occasions where I think what I have is mine. And because it's mine, if I do something with it, I think I've done something honorable. And there is an underlying expectation of some thank you, acknowledgement, whatever. Um, I remember I, I spent three years working in marketing and we had we owned a bunch of restaurants or the company that i worked for owned restaurants and we would spend money supporting the communities that our restaurants were in 
uh, local high schools, little leagues, that sort of thing. Uh, and so periodically I would go to like an opening day ceremony for a little league or some sort of high school event. And we would be recognized as having been a supporter uh, of the school or of the league or of the team or, or something of that nature. And they'd give me a certificate or give me some sort of recognition or I'd get to sit in some sort of spot. Um, and what's funny is I didn't deserve any of the praise. The money that was donated was the company's. The owner did something kind. I was just a steward of his resources. I was just a steward of a, a local store marketing budget. It wasn't my money. I didn't give him anything. I probably comped even my, my meal out there and my gas getting there. I did nothing but show up. And so if you're a steward, you know that you really don't have ownership in, in, in what was done. Or, uh, but many of us don't feel like stewards of what God has given to us. Many of us think that what we have is ours. And so when we give it or when we see a need and we respond to it, we feel like we're giving or responding with something that is ours, not entrusted to us by him. And we want credit. Owners want credit. Stewards know they don't deserve credit, that what they have isn't theirs. Owners want credit. Uh, I'll leave you to figure out how uh, uh, you might be trying to take credit for something uh, in your giving. But here's some questions that, that might be useful in helping you realize if maybe there is just even a fraction of a spiritual show-off uh, inside of you. Here's a few questions. One, if you don't experience joy in giving until you've been recognized, you might be a spiritual show-off. If you can't help but tell someone what you've given, how much you've given, how often you've given, all the good that was accomplished by what you gave, you might be a spiritual show-off. If giving causes you to think more of yourself rather than more of our Father who entrusted generously all things to us for his purposes, causes you to think more of yourself than more of him, more of your goodness than his goodness to you and to those who might have benefited from what you gave, you might be a spiritual show-off. If you find yourself comparing what you do or what you've given to someone else, and when you do, you always come out on top. When you compare, your gift was always more meaningful. Your gift, even if it cost less, was more valuable. Um, you might be a spiritual show-off. And, and so kingdom-centered giving celebrates what God has given to me uh, and celebrates his worthiness as the one who provides for my needs and the recipient of the person who I may give to. The act of giving itself humbles us such that we give to others and become even more dependent upon the Lord for our daily needs. The idea of giving humbles us. It should not puff us up. Jesus says, beware to be, don't be like the who want to be praised. They will get their reward in full. Jesus says, congratulations. You've got blue box and mac and cheese. Jesus moves to prayer, uh, verse starting in verse 5. Let's read verses 5 through 15. Interesting to me that the Lord's Prayer happens in this context uh, where it's such a, a fantastic and anchoring passage for prayer, but it's set in the context of humbling ourselves, purifying our hearts, and yielding ourselves to whatever the Father has planned. Um, starting in verse 5, gospel-centered prayer. It says, and when you pray, 
He must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Is Jesus saying you cannot pray in public no jesus prayed public. is jesus saying don't pray long if it goes over a minute you have failed and you are selfish and a thief of glory no jesus prayed all night right at the end of matthew before the cross uh, is jesus saying you can't pray repetitively or persistently or say the same things even multiple times or pray for the same person more than once no he encouraged them to pray persistently he even indicated that persistent prayer um, was commendable do we have to go up into our rooms and, and close the door and that's the only place that we can pray yeah. daniel prayed saying he opened the windows wide it's not um, prohibited um, again what does jesus say for they love to stand and pray that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. Uh, Jesus also says don't use a lot of words. And uh, one of the descriptions of what Jesus may have had in mind here that, that I thought was vivid uh, was a picture of what happened on Mount Carmel with Elijah. And, and some of you know that story. There's two altars. There's a, an altar that Elijah has created uh, it's to Yahweh, to the one true God. And then there's this second altar that the false pagan prophets of the false pagan god Baal constructed. And it was kind of a, a spiritual Super Bowl, so to speak. Whose God is going to consume the uh, offering? Whose God will send fire to burn up uh, the offering? And so some of you know that the false pagan prophets of Baal are standing over here. And they're screaming and they're chanting and they're singing and they're yelling for hour after hour. They're cutting themselves hour after hour. And Elijah seems to have fun with them. He hears them yelling and screaming and chanting hour after hour and says, yell louder. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he can't hear you. He might be sleeping in the back room of the house. You need to cup your hands and yell louder so that he can hear you. Uh, Elijah has sport with them where their repetition and their yelling and their cutting and all the things that they did were designed to uh, awake a sleeping god to make uh, a god who was ignorant of their needs aware that they needed him uh, and so the picture here is that, that we don't have to use uh, we don't have to try to 
force God. We don't have to try to wake him up. He's not asleep. He's not disengaged. He's not distant. He's not unaware of what's going on in our hearts and lives. He's never heard one of our prayers and gone, oh my goodness, I had no idea that was happening. Why didn't you say something sooner? That's never happened with God. And and so uh, in verse 8, Jesus says, don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask. So pray in a way that has the confidence and the expectation that the character and the pattern of God's faithfulness demands. He gives us then this template or this form of of how to pray. Uh, And some of you have repeated this prayer on many occasions, and I would say nothing wrong with repeating this prayer. It's a fantastic prayer. In general, we kind of have the sense that it's it's a template, a guide, a model, a form. And and so with that, there's a few components worth uh, drawing attention to. It kind of moves. uh, The start in in verse 9 begins with worship, right? Hallowed be your name, worshiping uh, the name of God. Uh, Then it moves into submissive yielding in verse 10, where we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, not my will, not what I think should happen, not what I want to happen, your kingdom, your will. Uh, It's a submissive posture. Moves into petition. Jesus says, pray for your daily bread. There's a petition, a request there. Uh, Then into confession, uh, forgive us as we forgive our debtors. And then finally, deliverance. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. So I I just want to pause with each of those because as Jesus is saying, don't settle for less. There's more. As Jesus says, don't worry about the praise of people around you. Worry about the praise of your Father in heaven. Uh, We are humbling ourselves and we are submitting ourselves, our relationships, our circumstances to his work. And we see that embedded in in each of these illustrations that Jesus uses and in this prayer. So from verse 9 where he says, hallowed be your name. Uh, I love this section for many reasons, but one is because Jesus uses uh, the title Father for God the Father in a way that is, is totally different than how it's used in the Old Testament. Jesus uses it a ton. It barely shows up in the Old Testament. And so Jesus in John alone is, I think, Father is used 100 plus times. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's like 65 times. And, and the emphasis is this personal and intimate relationship with the Father that we are able to have because of Jesus. And so when he says, hallowed be your name, great and wonderful, mighty, holy is your name, Father, who we get to know and be known by, who we are invited to come into his throne, into his presence uh, with confidence. Father, uh, like a child to a father who just wants to be held. I've never known a parent who didn't love to hear um, how their kid's day went. I never met a parent of adult kids who didn't delight in a phone call, even though they seem infrequent, from their adult kids who maybe live states away, saying, Mom, Dad, I just want to just tell you what's going on in our life. I just wanted to share a little bit about some of the things that are happening. Some of you are going, yes, that's never happened in my life. And if it happened, uh, everything uh, would change. But I've never met a parent that didn't delight in that. I've met plenty of adults who don't like to hear it from other people's kids. But I've never met a parent who didn't love to hear that. And so we... Uh, see this this vivid imagery as Jesus uses this title of Father, uh, hallowed, praised, wonderful, mighty, holy, sovereign, personal, intimate, known, knowable, wants to be known, 
active, involved, not asleep, not distant, not disengaged, not unaware. Uh, the phrase expresses a desire uh, that the Holy One, that God will be seen and treated throughout creation as holy. It starts from worship uh, and moves straight into a submissive yielding, which makes sense, doesn't it? That as we have a high view of him, it becomes very natural to submit. Uh, as we understand that he cares so deeply and has been this so powerful, it becomes natural to say, well, he cares more, he has more power, so just like take care of him, right? Um, submissive yielding, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, the emphasis here is not on our part in bringing about the kingdom of heaven, but on God's part that when he returns, when he establishes uh, his kingdom here, his kingdom come and his will will be perfectly done. And so it's really um, a petition that his will would happen uh, in our midst. And, and, you know, we pray often for, for God's will. This house, that house, this job, that job. Um, go on vacation, don't go on vacation. Should we do this? Should we not do this? Um, interestingly enough, when Jesus uses these same words in Luke uh, twenty-two forty-two. It's just before the cross. Uh, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And the idea is that um, Jesus' readiness to receive the will of God trumps his perception of how difficult God's will might be for him. And, and isn't that a high place of worship when we come to the spot where no matter what is in front of us, we're still able to cling to the God who is with us um, and in us. Uh, and again, it's, it's humbling, right? It's to say, I don't know what's best. I want your kingdom come, your will be done. I have plans, but my plans are flawed. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, third uh, is the petition. Uh, some of us treat the, the Lord as uh, he's a president, he's a CEO, and you don't bother the boss unless it's a really important thing. And we don't think that he cares about the nitty-gritties, the details of our lives. And so I love here that Jesus, in his petition, uh, asks for something or instructs them to ask for something as trivial as the bread that they will eat, the, what they need daily for sustenance, and, and this idea that we have a Father who is intimately concerned, intimately involved, intimately aware of what we need day by day. And if he's that aware to the of the little things, if he actually cares and is concerned about the little things, how much, how much does he care about the big things, the things that are heavy on our hearts? He cares that much about the little things. Uh, and there's a, a humbling there uh, when we ask him for our daily bread. And, you know, one of the things that, that I might encourage you to try uh, this week is, uh, put it on your day planner somewhere to, to ask the Lord for guidance in everything that's going to happen that day. Everything that you're aware of that isn't scheduled for that day. Ask the Lord into it. Invite him into it. Ask the Lord to, to meet those needs as a uh, habit to make us aware um, that he meets our needs. We don't meet our needs. Uh, if my kids want to get something from the grocery store, they say go to the bank and get more money. The bank is the money store and they give you money. Go get more of it. And sometimes we need to be reminded that our resources don't give us the ability to pay the mortgage or buy groceries 
uh, what we might have in the bank doesn't give us the ability for our daily bread, that our job doesn't give us the ability for daily bread. Our Father is the provider uh, of all things. It's humbling. After petition, he moves into confession. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I think often when we read a passage like this, we think, oh no, does this mean if I don't forgive perfectly, I'm toast and I will never make it into heaven because I have not forgiven this person. I know I haven't. I'm not sure how, if I will ever be, uh, does that mean that God refuses to forgive my sins? And so I think that there's certainly something that we have to engage with uh, with great seriousness when we're unwilling to forgive. Um, But what we see, uh, I think, is is not... um, God saying, if you are imperfect in this way, you will be smitten, smitted, whatever the word is. Neither of those are right. Um, But rather that a person who has been forgiven of an enormous debt um, will increasingly become a a person who is desirous and capable of forgiving others the much smaller offenses. Um, Finally, deliverance. think about deliverance jesus says lead us not into temptation and maybe some of our minds go does that mean jesus is tempting me i knew it i knew it i knew it uh, and say i would say no uh, james 113 is where we often go to say that it's 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 not him james 113 says let no one say when he is tempted i am being tempted by god for that god cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one and, and elsewhere we read that temptation is a function of of the sin in our heart and, and it's pulling at us tugging at us for the purpose of of trying to destroy, and certainly that's not uh, God's intent for us. And so when, when Jesus says, um, deliver us, um, you know, I think the way that, that we read that is, is Jesus saying, deliver us from all of the things that might be a temptation today. Keep me away from the things that will undo your spiritual work. Keep me away from the things that are trying, that are reaching out, grabbing, scrapping, clawing, uh, trying to get at me that will uh, lead me to fall again there's a humbling here uh, as we're reminded that we can't get through our day without him delivering us from temptation all throughout uh, the lord's prayer uh, there's this profound humbling uh, recognizing our daily moment by moment dependence uh, on our father how do you know if your motives in prayer are good uh Part of that is just between you and the Lord, right? Part, part of all of this through the Sermon on the Mount is, is what is in your heart. Uh, now, what's in your, what's in your heart will come out, right? My car is broken, and if I keep driving it, it will break down on the side of the road. It might not today, but it, it will break down uh, on the side of the road. So what's in our hearts will uh, come out. But here's maybe just a few questions that might be useful as we think about prayer. How do we know if our motives in prayer are good one uh, when you're done praying do you feel better about who god is do you feel better about his power do you feel better about his character or do you feel better about yourself because you've done your part you've done your religious duty so god is now obligated to in some way respond favorably uh, number two how do you respond when god says no or god says wait do you feel like your prayer time has been completely wasted he didn't do what i wanted that was a waste of time it didn't quote unquote uh, work. Uh, when you pray, are you 99% petition? Petition wasn't the only category in, in Jesus' model, in Jesus' template, in Jesus' form prayer. 
Uh, there's a lot of other things. It's getting close to Christmas time. Some of you at home are starting to hear, gimme, 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 right? Is your prayer life with the Lord, give me, give me, give me? Are your public prayers totally different than prayers in private? Are prayers that other people hear totally different than prayers that people, prayers you pray that people don't hear? Uh, last section for this morning, verses 16 through 18, Jesus talks about kingdom-centered fasting. Or he's just going to continue some of these themes that we've seen, focusing on their motives, not, not just the behavior, uh, focusing on whose praise you want. Matthew six sixteen through 18. And when you fast, notice that he says when. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They have settled for less when more is available. He says, truly, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Make sure no one can tell, is what Jesus is saying, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret who sees in secret, will reward you. You know, what came to my mind uh, about the way that they would uh, dirty their faces and make it evident that they were doing something is any of you who have ever gone like on a juice cleanse or some sort of extreme diet of some sort, and maybe you're out to lunch with coworkers and you go down the menu, I can't have that, can't have that, can't ha- why can't you, why can't you ha- have that? Well, I'm on this great diet, I'm, I'm so healthy, I'm really going to great lengths to be, be healthy. My body's a temple, you know, uh, and what does everyone else hear? Your body's not a temple, uh, you don't care about yourself, uh, you're a slob. Uh, you're probably going to die early uh, because of that, and I'm better than you. Um, and, and, and so, well, Planet Fitness is opening up, right, in, in a month. And so maybe half of us will wear workout stuff to church on Sunday. Well, I just came from the gym, and, you know, I didn't have time to change. Yeah, you know, why is there no sleeves on your shirt? Oh, I just, I'm just saying. Um, and so we'll, we'll do things to, to draw attention when we want uh, credit. And, and so that's what was happening in Jesus' time, um, and they were going to, to extra lengths to, to be noticed for what, the, for what they did, and Jesus says they have their reward in full, and, and what's the big deal? Um, just complete and utter betrayal. When we do religious things, uh, when we do good things, when we do things that God has asked us to do, thinking entirely about ourselves and the praise that we want. It's a, it's a complete and, and utter betrayal, a manipulation. Uh, some of you have had the situation happen where you haven't talked to a friend, a, a family member for six months, nine months, a year, two years, and they call out of the blue and they ask for money. How do you feel? Right? Betrayed. Uh, wherever the relationship was at, doesn't sound like it was in a great place, but it, it, it got worse, right? You, you feel used. We don't like that. We can smell that from a mile away. And that's what we do when we do what Jesus has asked so that people will uh, look at us. Um, uh, some final points as we wrap up this morning. Uh, a couple of scriptures maybe to, to write down and, and read uh, as you're thinking and praying this week. Um, Jesus keeps calling us to look beyond just the externals, beyond just our actions and behaviors, and to take an assessment of what's going on in our hearts. So how do we do that? How do we be Matthew 5.16? How does our light shine among men that they may see our good works 
and glorify our Father in heaven, where our right motives are married to right behavior. And people see that, and that's compelling, and that's attractive. Because all of us know people who do good for doing good's sake, and that's not attractive. That feels legalistic. It feels ritualistic. It feels, quote-unquote, religious with the bad connotation uh, of the word. We know what that is, and we don't like it. It's not attractive to us. It's not attractive to any else how do we begin to take an internal assessment pay attention to our hearts slow down so we can see what's going on uh, invite someone else to proofread our paper so to speak because we miss those mistakes and need others eyes uh, how do we do that just a couple things uh, from scripture as guideposts uh, from jeremiah 17 uh, don't overestimate yourself jeremiah 17 talks about our hearts being deceitfully wicked and so if we can just call them what they are um, before Christ, completely obstinate uh, enemies of God, even as followers of Christ, still a residue of sin. And so if we cannot overestimate ourselves, not have this opinion of ourselves, well, I shouldn't have any problems. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have any difficulties. Uh, I'm a Christian. Uh, first part is just being honest with ourselves and about the heart and the sin that we wrestle with, even in Christ. Uh, the second is to stay watchful. That's from First Peter. If you're part of the men's study, that's uh, an anchor verse for the study that you got done with uh, a little bit ago. Uh, but the idea is, well, the text says, be sober and be watchful. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may uh, devour. So we don't want to overestimate ourselves. We want to be honest with the battle that we're in, but we also want to recognize that it's a spiritual battle. It's not just a battle of our willpower. It's not just a battle of our minds. It's not just a battle uh, that we uh, work out for, get ready for, and, and go at. Uh, it is a spiritual battle with an enemy that has enormous power in this world. And because he has enormous power, we need spiritual tools. Uh, from Ephesians 6, Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And it is in them to therefore, what? Therefore put on the full armor of God. Why? Because you're weak and insufficient on your own. Put on the full armor of God. Why? Because you can't stand without it. And so as we continue through the book of Matthew and as Jesus continually calls us to uh, take an assessment of our heart and hopefully broadens our imagination, broadens our understanding of what he's called us to, not with an oppressive a layer of extra burden, not an oppressive layer of even more rules, but rather an invitation to walk in the freedom that has been purchased for us with that great title, Father, that we are sons, that we are daughters, that that is something he has bought for us and given to us that we might uh, walk in that freedom. And that is what does Matthew 5.16. That is what is illuminating to the world. That's what causes others to see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Otherwise, we're spiritual show-offs. That's no fun. Isaiah talks about God not sharing his glory. We don't win that battle. Um, many of you have mentioned that you're praying for people that you might see at Thanksgiving, at Christmas. Uh, we sang about the glory of God. Don't we want to see people to see the glory of God, not some really tarnished version uh, of our effort to be good enough to try to good them into the kingdom of God. Something Jesus has bought for us. And we walk in it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your, your kindness to us. We thank you that you sent Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves and then invited us into relationship 
with you. Uh, Not just more rules that remind us of what we can't do, but into relationship with you. Lord, for those of us here who have just been blind to our own hearts, absolutely blind, Lord, this week in some way, organize our relationships, organize our circumstances, organize the people that we see, the people that we don't see, the things that happen, the things that don't happen, such that we might discover what's in our hearts, Lord, that you have known all along. Not so that we can be buried by guilt, but Lord, so that you can daily lift us up, daily wash over us with new grace, daily invite us into this relationship where we are known and loved by you, that we're not spiritual black sheep. Lord, may our light shine before our brothers and sisters that they might see our good works and glorify you in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray.